Good morning, everyone. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Okay. So this is the last of the uh, missional life series. And uh, it's going to be a mixture of short testimony, um, some challenge, appropriate, I hope, and some meaty announcements. All right? You okay with that? Oh, you more announcements to say. Let me just pray. Father, I thank you for the truth, Lord, that sets us free. And the truth isn't just words or thinking, but it's truth embodied in, in you, in a man whose name is Jesus, but who wasn't just man, but was eternal God, an eternal God that lives in us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, certainly over this last few weeks, Lord, will be acceptable in your sight, Lord, and be received and weighed up by these good folk here this morning. Lord, in your mighty name, amen. Okay, so the title of this morning is Being Invitational. And um, folks, we have a role in being uh, evangelistic. That shouldn't be no surprise to you. The Great Commission, the, that command of Jesus in Matthew 28 to his disciples was to go and make disciples. Yes? Yes? Okay. I believe it is the sovereign God's desire that none should perish. Now that's 2 Peter 3 verse 9. And that all can receive eternal life. The choice. Revelation 3.20 has the eternal Jesus saying that he stands and knocks at the door of people's hearts wanting to enter into their lives. And even if they've never entered a church building and we don't have one of our own or hear the gospel in the same way we have, there will always be an opportunity for people to meet Jesus and respond to him at some level, Romans 1.20, Romans 2.12.15. The question is, at what level? And what is the responsibility of us as believers in that task? Um, hands up if you've ever watched the film, The Matrix. All right, put your hands down. Hands up if you don't know what I'm talking about. You don't know what I'm talking about, okay. This film, The Matrix, is a sci-fi film. Yeah? Okay. It paints a scene of a post, a can I say the word? Apocalyptic world of human slaves who are plunged into a virtual computer world. And they're oblivious to their plight. They're living and they're dying in it, unaware that they are slaves to this computer construct which is called The Matrix with their very bodies powering the machines that were keeping them slaves. Unaware until free people came with truth and an invitation for them to leave this artificial world and enter a whole new wider world of existence. All right. Now, our role 
as free people, because that's what we are. Unplugged, not from a fictional matrix, but from this fallen earthly construct, is to play our part as godly ambassadors, to be bold, to be obedient, to be knowledgeable, to be powerful, to allow people to recognize Jesus, the King in us, his kingdom in us and around us as our and their savior and our God. Now the Bible says that we should all, not just special people, do the work of the evangelist, right? 1 Timothy 4.12 says that. And although they do classically exist, like Billy Graham. Anyone saved under Billy Graham's call? Vicky, anyone else? Okay. And Reinhard Bonnke. Anyone heard of Reinhard Bonnke? Reinhard Bonnke. That German, yes. The word evangelism will trigger different images in people's minds. And it's essentially the biblical word for the act of inviting people to know Jesus, presenting folks with a choice. So this morning, as well as reminding ourselves about the nature of the choice, we're going to explore how and to whom that choice, that invitation is made. And what is the role of this Junction 10 community in presenting that choice? And do we have a role? When Jesus appointed and sent out the 72, it was then that Jesus said that the fields are white unto harvest, but the laborers are few. That was true then, but it shouldn't be now, as we have millions, millions of Jesus ambassadors with Christ's potential to do the very things the 72 were empowered to do to heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. Now, there will be things we can and should do together in terms of evangelism. And we'll explore that not just today, but other times. But fundamentally, this morning, this morning is about what you can do to prepare yourself for taking your part in the invitation, the choice. We're going to be hovering around the Gospel of Luke in chapter 14, so get your Bibles ready for that. Specifically looking at the parable of the great banquet and the next section about the cost of being a disciple, which are an illustration of the offer God has made and the choice we are to make of it. Now let me ask you, um, what are the images and scenarios you think of when you say evangelism or when you're thinking about people uh, wanting to come to Christ. Give me, just throw some words out. Evangelism, what comes to mind? To speak out, okay? Any other pictures? Sorry? This side, make disciples, okay, good. Ian, you're looking at me. What do you think of? Demonstration of power, okay. So, the, I said, I spoke about Rana Bonke, didn't I? 
Next slide up. He has a, a vision. I love to listen to this, not just because he's, he's, he's got a, a, a fantastic German accent, right? But he has a real passion for the lost. So when he says, Africa will be saved, you, he means it, yes? He absolutely does. And that's just a scene of him as, a, as a, maybe a classical modern day evangelist speaking to thousands of people, beckoning them to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Uh, who remembers minus the plus? Okay, so if you were around in Junction 10 long enough, that man there, Rana Bonke, did a campaign to encourage the UK to come to know Jesus. And a, a whole series of campaigns and, and um, uh, gatherings in auditoriums and leaflets were handed out to most households in, in the UK to try and get folks to come to know Jesus. Do you remember now? I remember it. Yeah, if you're on Junction 10, you, you should remember it. Okay, who remembers the gym campaign? Remember the gym campaign? What did gym stand for? Jesus in me. That was another evangelistic campaign. If I remember rightly, it was, it was Assemblies of God, which is our denomination, and Elim as well came together. And there were the two Pauls, was it not? Paul Weaver and Paul... What's the other Paul? The big, he was a big guy, wasn't he? The guy that was running Elim. Anyway, there's two Pauls. And they were pushing it together to encourage folks to be evangelistic. Yes, that was the gym campaign. Right. Now, um, I, I've done a bit of evangelism. I wouldn't say I'm an evangelist, but I've done the work of evangelism, right? Evangelist even. And it's not something I'm particularly comfortable with, right? My natural, natural self is to want to retreat into the corner. Now, that's a big surprise for a lot of you, right? But it is, right? I just want to be left alone. I don't want to be bothered by anything and anyone. I just want to be in my corner, right, and get on. That's me naturally, right? But uh, 19 odd years ago, when the Lord called me to go and uh, work at the Vine, one of the first things we did was to receive a call to say, be evangelistic, right? And one of the things we did was to um, have a real heart for the people coming out the pubs and clubs of Warsaw. This is before Street Pastors was even a, an idea. In Warsaw, we would go out on a Friday night, between the hours of 10.30 and 3.30 in the morning, going out to the clubbers who were rolling in and then rolling out of the pubs and clubs of Warsaw, right? Uh, Fern, you were one of them, weren't you? I don't think anyone else. Sue Radford was there. Yeah, we used to go on the street, and folks, we saw sights. <laughs> sights. You name it, it was there, right? It was a reality check, right? But we went out... And you had to put on the evangelistic cloak, right? To have the guts to go up to people before they were drunk and tell them about Jesus, right? And then after they were drunk and speak to them about Jesus. And believe you me, there's a difference in the same people you see before they have alcohol and after they have alcohol, right? And you can imagine. But I tell you, after they've had alcohol, these folks would come up to you very privately and ask you to pray for them, right? Ask for you to speak into your lives. And when you put in that situation of trying to speak to someone or you've got nothing other than your wit, right? But actually you've got more than your wit. You have to call on the great power that's within you, right? 
And the Holy Spirit gives you words of knowledge and revelation and wisdom to speak into people's lives. And those people became regular and they would look out for you. So they would know Fern. Fern, can I speak to you about this, not the other? My mom's not very well. This, not the other, right? And I can't count how many people that we made with that walk with them or that first step of faith, right? Now, are they in this church here today? I don't think so. I don't think so. But I do believe that folks entered into eternal destiny on those two or three years that we were on the streets of Warsaw, right? And was it a comfortable place to be in? We had all sorts, and I, when I just say all sorts in terms of the scenario, spiritual things we saw, right? That makes this stuff real. There is more to this life than what we see, feel, and touch. And as Christians, we need to remind ourselves of that. The Bible says we wrestle not with flesh and blood. And we saw manifestations on, that, on those streets, right? And that Warsaw, between those particular hours, it became very real to us that it is full of darkness, right? And that people need the light of life to come into their lives. And we weren't just praying for in, with individuals. We were speaking life into our town. And, and we could, um, with the help of the police, because the police initially were very curious. Who were these crazy God squatters? Initially, our crutch was to get a whole lot of sandwiches from um, uh, Boots, it was. At the end of, on a Friday, we left to get the sandwiches. And we went out and we used to give the food and the, the, the bottles of juice to the kids, the people coming out of the clubs. But that was just our hook to get to folk, right? But what we noted from the police between when we started and when we, and when we finished, there was a 50% drop in town centre street crime at night, right? That's, that is recordable, right? It's been recorded as such. And we believe that it was a, as a direct consequence of our presence on that street. So, evangelism. Now, how many of you actually came to faith as a direct result of someone inviting you to a Christian event, whether a church or a campaign? Hands up. Okay, so therefore I assume the rest of you didn't. There were some other means, whether it was personal evangelism or some sort of awakening in yourself and you got yourself up and said, yes, Lord, yeah? Well, I'm going to... Um, journey that a bit more because I've talked a bit about my little evangelistic walk I'm going to ask one of our number who is is he an evangelist well let's find out because he's actually here to do some of this work for us in, in our school so let's get Oscar to come up rounds of applause for Oscar so Oscar you've been, you've been grabbed and put upon here right the first question I'm going to ask you is Will Africa be saved? Yes. Yes. There is hope for Africa. Africa is getting saved. Okay. So, Oscar, I'm asking you, you've come here all the way from Zimbabwe, yep. right? Are you an evangelist? I'm not, I'm not an evangelist, uh, but I'm doing the work of an evangelist. Okay. Yeah. And what, what does that, what, don't worry, what, what does that look like? Well, it's uh, living a life that reflects Jesus, talking to people, actually taking the initiative to go to people 
and forming relationships with them, uh, building a bridge where you can talk about Christ. Okay. Yeah. And you're doing that in schools? I'm doing that in schools, yeah. Okay. So, and and what, what does it practically look like? How do you do that? What does it look like when you go into Grace Academy on, on a Monday morning? All right. So it looks something like this. I get there. Uh, the kids that are there and the first thing that I always do is it's always important to get to know names always get to know somebody before you kind of like bring in Jesus and so I'm getting to know the kids and while we're working on that relationship building it they see something in me that is obviously different because I'm always enthusiastic and stuff so they begin to ask questions so it's one of those when when you live in out for Christ it will show and people will ask questions and when they ask, that's like the hook. You begin to tell them more about Jesus. So you, but you say you're not an evangelist, but you've obviously received some call because you've come all the way from Zimbabwe to come to Warsaw. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. What, what happened? What, what did that look like? Uh, it, looks, it looks like Romans. Like Romans? Yeah, it's how can they call on a God in whom they do not believe? How can they believe in a God in whom nobody has spoken to them about? And how can we speak about the gospel if we're not being sent? So I'm just coming to also to preach God because I believe that it's God's calling to spread the word. Fantastic. Yeah. And aren't we glad we've got Oscar? Yeah, absolutely. So Oscar, um, you're, you're coming towards the end of this um, cycle within Pays. Yeah. Do we know what's happening with you? Going forward, what's God saying to you about your, current, your next journey, your next steps? Uh, keep working with Pace. Uh, continue. I'm going to be coming back after, after the, is it the summer holiday. Yes. Yeah, I'm going to be yeah. coming back after the summer holiday. And, <laughs> and really, although I'm going on summer holiday, the evangelistic work is not going on holiday. I'm taking it with me to Zimbabwe. Okay. So even while I'm in Zimbabwe, I'm still talking about Jesus. Because you said something, I think it was to me, where you said there's some stuff that you even learned over here that you might want to be bringing back to, to Zimbabwe in terms of, is that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Zimbabwe, England, different cultures. Agreed? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, in, my, in my time so far, there's a lot of ways of doing ministry that I have seen being employed in the UK, uh, that if I take home and introduce to further the ministry there. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm just going to pray for Oscar, right? And uh, if, if, you, if you're so minded and able, let's stretch out our hands towards him. And I also want to thank you, Lord, for, for this man. Thank you, Lord. He came at the right time for us as a church, Lord, when we were um, needing further support, Lord, with our children and, and youth work ministry, Lord God. And we have a man of faith here, Lord God. We have a man of, of passion and charisma, Lord God, not, not founded on, on superficial stuff, but something that's deep, Lord God. And I thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray, Lord, as our young people, Lord, in this place and in the schools that we're supporting, Lord, are receiving the word of life, Lord, through this man and his ministry. I pray, Lord, as he goes uh, on his break back home for a time and a season, yes, Lord, the stuff that he's learned over this place, Lord, will will, uh, produce much fruit, Lord, in Zimbabwe, Lord God, and that his work as an evangelist, Lord God, will see many souls come to know you as Lord and Saviour. And we look forward, Lord, to his coming back, Lord, as as a team leader, Lord Jesus, uh, bringing and encouraging 
more young people as part of the team, but beyond that, Lord, to see a, a real harvest being pulled in in our town of Warsaw. In your mighty name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Bless you. Thank you. Round of applause for Oscar as he takes his seat. So um, at the end of this teaching series, we want to challenge you to step up to be used by God to connect people to Jesus. Now back in the day, many a church, even this one, uh, invitational meant the rank and file congregation like us yourselves was to try and invite folks to attend and respond to some sort of church seeker sensitive event or gospel service or evangelistic campaign and then bring them to hear the gospel usually from the, the ministers preach and then have a chance to say the sinner's prayer right you know everyone bow your head and oh, I can see that hand I can see that hand I can see that hand and praise the Lord praise the Lord right and some of our own church growth as Junction 10 has been as a consequence of that style of evangelism. Um, that has developed with the event of alpha type initiatives. And folks, we're going to be running an alpha course in September. So we want you to be already thinking about the people that you could be inviting to be part of that uh, course. Um, think about now, pray them, ask the Holy Spirit to guide you and to lead you as to how they can be encouraged to come, where we will explore with them the tenets of our faith with the hope that they can respond to Jesus, believe and receive the Holy Spirit and be baptised like the folk who are getting baptised today. And folks, I know it's a Sunday night and some of you come on a Sunday morning, some of you come on a Sunday night. Can I encourage you to, if you can, encourage you to come along and support Anna and this other lady. It's in a different venue, yes, but it's the first time we've done baptism, baptismals in this new stage of Junction 10. So if you can, it'll be a real, real blessing to, to them as, as well as to us. So, before the church of Junction 10, the very word evangelism was included in the first title of our church. Warsaw Evangelistic Center. That was the title of our church. Evangelism is in our DNA. There it is, or there it was. Warsaw Evangelistic Center. Or rather, there is the building. Now folks, we haven't forgotten the land, the whole issue of the building. We haven't forgotten the Allen Well, And we do believe we will be going back to it. And in recent weeks, circumstances and events are lending themselves to that outcome. And we've had recent prophetic words and challenges to that effect that we have and are acting on. So we're going to give you another announcement. Are you ready? Come on, Rach. We need to update you on the next phase of our journey in relation to the building. It was back in October 2013 when the core team received an unexpected message from God about demolishing the old building. 
accompanied with an instruction to build a community with Jesus at the centre. Collectively, the team said yes to what they'd heard and the decision was announced to the wider church a few weeks later. At the time it was announced, we didn't know where we would be meeting, but God opened the door for us here at Caris. And we had this great facility, which was empty on Sundays, which we could use. And God provided the space for us to meet on Sundays. And he also provided an office space for us in Blakenall too. Initially, it was discussed that we would be here for about 12 to 18 months. But we've been meeting here at Caris for two years in September. And in that time, as they opened their doors to us, God has been blessing the Bible College and Andrew Womack Ministries to the extent that they have given us notice that they will need their facilities for seven days per week from October of this year. That means for us finding somewhere else to gather on Sundays. We've been through massive changes as a church in the last couple of years And it's only recently that perhaps it's felt like things have started to settle down. And now we've got to move again. However, we've also heard that in this journey, it's about God getting our attention. To focus and rely entirely on him. And we've heard that perhaps the church at Junction 10 got a bit too comfortable at 323 Wolverhampton Road and a bit too confident in its own abilities. And if all of that is true, then should we be surprised that as we perhaps started to feel settled and comfortable here at Caris, that God said, come on, it's time to move. That God is moving us again should also perhaps cause us to question how are we doing with the instruction to build a community with Jesus at the centre? What else has God been saying to us at Junction 10 though? As Kev, Joe and I met and prayed in the last 12 months, we've sensed God calling us back to the Allenwell. And yes, we will return to 323 Wolverhampton Road. But we believe God is calling us back to the Allenwell now, before we've got a building. We've had, we've had driven round the estate looking for possible office space, but we'd found nowhere. We shared at the AGM in April, and John Oliver stopped, stepped forward and said that the company that he works for has office space available in Allenwell. We're now in discussion about us moving into that space. We're also talking to local residents about how we can best meet the needs of the Allenwell community. The three of us met to pray on the land at 323 on the 20th of April. We were going back to the site for the first time since we'd left. We'd planned to do so ahead in the diary. And then we received the notice from Caris in that same week. We prayed on the site and then we walked up to the Allenwell estate, to the location of the proposed office. The next morning, we received an email from Will at Junction 10, headed 
building thoughts. We, we hadn't made it known that we were meeting on the 323 site to anybody. And to receive the email the following day was kind of like, hmm, what are you saying, God? The natural response to being told that we were to leave Carius is, we need to get the new building. But here was a word from God, from someone who knew nothing about us leaving Caris, raising the question, how was, the build, how was building a community with Jesus at the centre going? The word also referenced examples from the Bible where man had attempted to see God's plans fulfilled before his time. Abraham and Ishmael. The Israelites demanding a king and God agreeing to give them Saul, despite not being his intent at that time. If we as, God, as a people demand a building now, God will provide. But there will be a sense of sadness that his people desire a building more than they do, desire his presence. At the end of that week, we were taking the evening service at Eve Lane. And the church that had birthed Junction 10. Joe ended up preaching and was led to Joshua chapter 3 and 5. And the account of the Israelites being told to pack up and follow the presence of God through the miraculous parting of the Jordan and into the promised land. Joe will tell you it's probably the quickest sermon that's ever come together during a Sunday afternoon. We received, and during the Sunday afternoon, we received an email from another couple in the church, Joy and Andre, saying they'd been praying and seeking God and they needed to share something with the three of us about his presence. Again, Joy and Andre knew nothing about the letter that we'd received from Caris about us having to move. So again, it was just confirmation that God was in all of it. And this presence of God is going before us and nothing will get in his way. Sensing the timeliness of what Joe had shared at Eve Lane, that's why we got him to share it at Junction 10 at the end of May. And from that, Roy Masters shared a prophetic word on this Sunday evening that as a church and as individuals, we are to purify ourselves, ready for the next move of God. But he didn't know. We also received a prophetic word from someone outside the church, but connected to Junction 10 about Aiken's sin, about how God's people were defeated when they stepped out of their, on their own and there was hidden sin. Again, a call to us to purify ourselves. So, where are we going to meet in October? And the Sunday's in October. At this stage, we're not completely sure. We're talking to the Allenwell schools, given our, our belief that God is calling us back there. But we're looking at other options, including the Showcase Cinema, just across the M6 at Junction 10. And although we know it would have reduced anxieties, to say exactly where we're going to next. We couldn't find office space on the Allenwell until we'd shared it at the AGM to the wider church. 
Maybe there's someone here today that's going to be helping with the next stage. We're meeting with the directors of Caris in the next couple of weeks, still exploring whether we're going to journey together. And we approached them after they'd given us notice. And they said that they wanted to meet us. So we're continuing to do so. We've learned that the company that owns the offices that we're going to be moving into on Allenwell owns the Telford International Convention Centre where the Grace and Faith Conference was held and the Southwater Development at Telford, an indication of the prosperity in the city. Is that just a coincidence? Or is God knitting something together, everything together, in a way that only we can marvel at? We're also going to meet at the site of 323 at 9 o'clock on Sunday the 17th of July to pray and seek God prophetically before the service at Caris that morning. And we'll say more about that in the weeks to come. We're not only the church without a building. We're not the only church without a building, sorry. And God does not need a building. He's miraculously provided one for Junction 10 before, and he can again. It probably won't be in the same way. How God parted the Red Sea was different to how he parted the River Jordan, but both miracles and facilities facilitated the same passage of the Israelites. We had the same scripture that we've had when we've prayed several times in Joshua chapter 3. And it's very similar to the word that, um, uh, that Roy Masters gave. And it was then in Joshua 3, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. He's looking for opportunity to do wonders amongst us. And uh, that's what he's going to do. He's provided for us before and he'll provide for us now. It's just about where we're going to go. I'm going to hand back over to Kev. Thanks, Rach. Something for us to, to, to think and reflect on, and we're going to be, we'll do that later on uh, throughout this service. Uh, we've got to trust God. Either this thing is, is real or it ain't, all right? And there comes moments in our, in our lives, individually and corporately, where there's nothing else we can do but trust God. But it's only when we do trust him that we can allow him to do his stuff, okay? Now, before this particular building was built, Junction 10 community, just like we are now, we're in a temporary home back in the Allenwell School. And my grand Doris was one of them, alongside Joy and Andre. I think that's about it now, isn't it? The ones that are st- still alive, at least. Joy and Andre are just about, just about here. Right? And uh, Doris celebrates her 89th birthday on Tuesday. Now, Doris brought her daughter, Joy, and Joy bought her kids, Mark, Janet, and Beverly. 
who were my first cousins. And then a few years later, Doris brought me. Next slide. There's Doris with her great-granddaughter, Tamar, my youngest daughter. And I love this picture because both of them are reading the Bible together. One generation shall praise you to another. Yeah? Psalm 145. Now, what they did after this picture was taken was to do some colouring together. Nice thing for great-granddaughters and great-grandmothers to do together. And my gran has this whole colouring book with shapes in. Uh, shapes called mandalas. And it's supposed to be a therapeutic and relaxing exercise. Next slide, Dave. There you go. That's what they are. So I'm watching my gran with this. The colouring's not always precise, but it's, it's, you know, you look at it and you appreciate it. Well, well done, Grand. Very, very good. And sit there and go through every page or every of these things. And do you want to take one with you? Yep, great, great, Grand. I'll find a nice place for that one to put somewhere alongside all my daughters or the pictures. Fantastic. Well, she's got these things called, called mandalas. And, and her old folks group as, do it alongside doing the bingo and, and the whatever else. They do these, this, this colouring. Is she allowed to do bingo? She's, I think probably is now. And um, anyway, I'm currently, no, if you know, I'm currently studying my Master's of Business Administration at Aston Uni. And one of the particular modules I'm doing is the Mindful Global Manager. And one element of the study to help me with my learning journey is self-management. The content of the study, which is quite time-demanding, ironically, has an element called mindfulness. Now, mindfulness is the psychological process of bringing one's attention uh, to the internal and external experiences occurring in the present moment. And I was a bit suspicious of this process because of its links with Eastern religions and certain Jungian psychological theories. But nonetheless, it has been a useful exercise, even for this morning, folks. Because one of my reflections on the module was to... Uh, they're asking us to do is to construct and reflect on a symbol, a circular matrix that is supposed to represent your world, culturally, socially, and politically, and how I as an individual interact with it. And these images are also called mandalas. In the course, I had to construct a mandala for me to assess what was going on in my life today and to reflect on them and how I feel about them, and what I aspire for them, in order to make an informed choice about what I need to do for me, and to make the necessary changes in my life. And it reminded me about one of the scriptures that we have asked you to, to hover over in Luke 14, and verse 28 to 30, in the message it says this, Is there anyone here who is planning to build a new house? Um who doesn't first sit down and figure out the cost so you'll know if you can complete it. If you only get the foundation laid then run out of money, you're going to look pretty foolish. Everyone passing by will poke fun at you. He started something he couldn't finish. Interesting we're talking about building this morning. At the centre of the mandala, is it the one they presented to us, as I said, is me. Of course it's me. 
It's me and my health, my leisure, my studies, my finances, my relationships, my faith, my values. And then surrounding them are a number of spheres or squares representing family, business and community. And as I was completing this task, I began to reflect on how I interact with them from a Christian kingdom perspective, starting with me at the center. And it's not egotistical, but before I do anything, or rather, I should ensure that me is right. What does it mean from a Christian point of view in getting me right? Without Jesus, I can only go so far in my life journey. Because I know what God has done for me. That great banquet that you will read about in Luke 14. Jesus has saved me. He lives in me. And I, as a consequence of that, can do all things as he strengthens me. I don't have to be confined by the limitations of what I see, feel or touch. I can access hope for a higher reality, which is the kingdom of God reality. And the sooner I allow the truth, or rather the person who is the truth to direct me daily, the better it will be for me and those around me. And my role in communicating the invitation, the choice to them. So beyond me came my family, my nuclear family, my wife, my kids, my parents and grandparent, my siblings, my aunts, my uncles and their children, my cousins, and reflected on how I have and could interact with them. How can I impact them positively? How can I communicate this gospel offer to them? Me, my family. And then my work as employee, as employer, as colleague, a steward, what I must do to be a vessel for Jesus in that space. Do I create a good working environment? Do I pay people fairly? Do I pay my bills on time? Are people, as a result of my decisions, under unnecessary stress? Me, my family, my work. And then beyond that, the wider community. In seeking the peace and prosperity of the city, how am I, as a societal influencer, with contact with royalty, government, media, commerce and banking, how am I, as an educational leader, founding and chairing a number of schools, and how am I, as an elder here at Junction 10? Me, my family, my work and my community. A community with Jesus at the center. That's what we said as a eldership is our raison d'etre for this community at Junction 10. And I would say, this is our corporate mandala. Not for us as leaders to do it for you, Albeit we can and will help you and we'll do things like Alpha and the big festivals like Christmas and Easter, etc. 
but to help equip you, God's people, to do his work, Ephesians 4.12, until you are mature. By releasing the fivefold ministries, Ephesians 4.11, in extending the kingdom, in knowing God's will, in recruiting Christians, in nurturing and protecting you, and helping you to obey what God is telling you to do, so that you as free people can seek the prosperity, not just of the city, but your own spheres of influence, your own mandalas. Now, I'm going to leave this last mandala on here. For us, just to think and pray and reflect on for a few minutes, right? So at the center is you, right? And let's just close, let's close our eyes for a second. And we're going to do this as a, as a corporate exercise. And I'm going to speak out. And I want you to just see yourself at the center. Where are you at this morning? What's God saying to you individually about your health, your leisure time, your relationships? What words has God spoken to you that have been fulfilled so you can use them as a point of reference? But also, what words have yet to be fulfilled in your life? How is God using you? Or rather, how are you allowing God to use you to be used by him? Are you in that place? Then let's turn to our families. Now, for some of this... Family can be a chaotic space. Broken relationships. War. Arguments. Brokenness. And it's very hard to see the life of God in those at the moment. But let's think of those relationships. Our nuclear family, our children, our spouses our ex-spouses? How is God using us? Or how can God use us in those spaces, those relationships? And then beyond that, to your parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, cousins, do they see Jesus in you? Do they see the life of God? Have they received the choice through your agency? What do you need to do to get yourself into that place where you can be authentic but also real with them? And then I've, I've chosen the work sphere. Maybe it's retirement for a lot of you. Again, what are you like as as colleague at work? Will people really know that you're in Christ through how you speak to them, 
how you direct them, how you order their next steps? Are you creating an environment which people love to be in because they know that you have something different about yourself? Or does there need to be a lot of work in that? Does the Holy Spirit need to be released in that area in the name of Jesus? If you're on businesses, are you being honourable in how you manage those businesses? Are we paying people on time? Are we offering good service to our customers, to our patients? And then this wider community space. What's my role here as a member of Junction 10? As we have to step out into this next step to be invitational. We're part of the invitation process. Whether that's Alamo, yes. But also how we connect to those folks that need to know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Our neighbours, those influential conversations we can have that will make the difference. I'm just going to pray over you. Lord, you have called us to do the work of the evangelist. You have called us to be salt and light. You have called us to be your ambassadors in all those spheres of influence, Lord. But you haven't just sent us out powerless. Your word tells us that you have given us everything we need for life and godliness. And that you have not left us alone, but we have the Holy Spirit within us, living within us, around us. And it is perhaps only our ignorance that prevents us from availing ourselves of his great power. And I pray, Holy Spirit, right now, for as we have reflected on those spaces and are and will, the challenge will go out to ourselves individually and corporately to trust you, to create space and time to evaluate where we are in each of those spaces. And for us, Lord, as we've received this next challenge about where we are as a community with you at the centre, permanent building or not, that we will seek to trust you and hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. My last slide, Dave. Uh, the lady in the glasses is my cousin, Beverly. Remember I said, Doris brought joy and joy brought her daughter, Beverly. That's Beverly there. And next to her is her daughter, Cheyenne. Now about, it must have been five months ago now, we got a call to say, 
at Beverly. Um, the doctors have given her a few weeks to live. So I sat in my room, obviously grieved by this news, that Beverly, who's uh, 40, 47, I think she's now, was going to be, was going. And uh, I remember my aunt calling me and says, Kevin, I've been to see her, it's, it's no good, no good. So in me, the questions come up about what, what's going on here. What can I do? The Bible tells me that we can lay hands on the sick. What are you going to do about it, Kevin? Yeah? And I can imagine that maybe a lot of you have been in that scenario where in this space it feels safe to talk about He's a God who heals. He's a God who saves. Yeah? But then faced in that sphere, that reality, what do you do about it? So I said, I'm, Lord, I'm just going to go to the hospital where she was. And um, I didn't know where Beverly was in her faith, to my shame. You know, I know she came to the church as a, as a young kid, but did she make that choice, that step? I have no idea. Another challenge to me. So I went to the manor where she was, and the room was full of um, her in-laws. And the nagging voice that says, what are you going to do now, Kevin? What are you going to do now? Right? And if I was to believe that Beverly only had a few weeks to live, she could be gone the next day. No idea. So I dismissed th that voice and said, Bev, can I pray with you? Right? And I said, I, I want, I love the Lord. I believe he's real. Right? I've seen too much already to know that God is alive. I want to pray with you. Right? I want to pray that you can come to know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. And those folks were around me listening to it. And Bevy says, yes, Kevin. Let's do that. Yeah? So I talked her through the walk of faith. Yeah? What it is to, to know the Lord. What it is that God has forgiven them of, of all her sins. That she suddenly has to go become some great saint. Right? That God has saved her just as she is. And that's what we did. Great. Fantastic. And in some respects, it could be seen like a, a, a box ticked. Security done, right? But then I had another nudging in me. So, Kevin, that's not enough. It's not enough. And that got in my, my stomach, not of the Holy Spirit, I've got to say. We're about, I know what you're going to say. What's, what are you going to say? Ask God to heal. Right? Okay, so that's what I did. I said, Beverly, I know what the doctors have said and I respect them. I respect them 100% because they're telling you as it naturally is. But I want to pray and believe for you that you're not finished yet. That 
you at 47 is no age, right? I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for you. So I laid hands on Beverly. I can't remember the exact words I said and what things I said, but it was a sincere prayer nonetheless, right? And that was it. Uh, Beverly didn't get out the chair because she had an oxygen thing in her nose, right? Uh, but I left it there and I, I did what I needed to do and left. Then the days and the weeks passed and we started getting to report to say, Beverly's, Beverly's still here. Beverly hasn't died, right? And um, what, what month are we in? June. Beverly is still here. And they've come back and said, we think the doctors must have misdiagnosed Beverly's condition because she hasn't died. She's still here. And Beverly's back at home. Um, she's not running up and down, but she's not confined to a hospital. And she's not dying. Now, the sceptic in you might say, well, them crazy doctors, that, you know, 99 times they get it right, 1% they got it wrong. But I want to believe, I do believe, that the prayers of a righteous man and woman availeth much, right? And that because I stepped into that gap, into that space, Beverly will see three score years and ten in the name of Jesus, right? Okay. Now, that's, that's a very happy ending, I trust. What wasn't so happy was last month, we got a call, the same auntie that called me to say, the doctors have said, um, Beverly is dying. She called me and said, Kevin, terrible news. Terrible, terrible, terrible news. I says, what, auntie? She says, Cheyenne has died. So Beverly's 23-year-old daughter had had a fit at university on her last day, just handed her assignment work in. And she was on her own, and she hit her head and died. The last time I saw Cheyenne was in that hospital uh, room with Beverly and um, I can't tell you the, the, gr the sense of grief and loss I felt and our family have felt over this situation this, this beautiful young uh, lady the first in that part of the family to have gone to university outgoing very bubbly and you know very loving had just gone like that and then you think about it, in that hospital room, we were saying, or some folks were saying goodbye to Beverly and not saying goodbye to Cheyenne. So she was buried on, on Thursday, just gone. And what, in reflecting on this, particularly doing this thing now, is emphasised to me more and more about what's, uh, what's my role in that sphere with my family? I can no longer afford to be guarded about my faith. This thing is real. 
We had a chance with Beverly. Praise the Lord. Cheyenne. She's gone. And my challenge back to you folks, which is my challenge, is let's wait up. Unless, as Oscar says, unless we, unless we go, who else is going to go? And we've got folks, I don't know Cheyenne's eternal destiny. I have no idea, folks. Right? I'd like to think that something of what she heard in the, in the hospital room gave her something. I don't know. The Lord knows. But what I do know is that we can't afford to make any assumptions. Right? We have to communicate the truth. We need to do the work of the evangelist. Let's just pray. Father, I thank you for your word. Uh, and I just pray, Lord God, for everyone over here, Lord, that um, although it's a sad story at the end, Lord God, there is still hope, Lord. There are many souls, Lord, that need to know you as Lord and Saviour. I do pray, Lord, over this place, Lord, for the folks, Lord, who will depend on us as elders, Lord, to, to, to help them in that journey. But, Lord, you have made them your own sons and daughters, and they have the power and the potential, Lord, to know you as Lord and Saviour but also then to release that power into people's lives. And I pray that, that t today will be such a day in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. I'm conscious time has gone. We haven't done the offering.